All right, so we are starting a new series. How many of you have ever seen the TV show Fixer Upper? It's like the only thing that is on our TV, it seems like to me. Every time I walk in is HGTV Fixer Upper. Uh, We're going to do a series, kind of my loose interpretation uh, of Fixer Upper. If you haven't ever seen the show, the show is they take these homes that are falling in and... uh, Terry tore apart, and they make them dream homes. Uh, And this is Chip and Joanna Gaines in Texas. Uh, And I say that because what I want us to connect it to is how Jesus works in us in our relationship uh, with Jesus Christ. And what I want us to stop and think about is really my hope for this series is we really come to a better understanding of what it is that we believe. Um. We're going to do something, I I told y'all before, some of the sermon series that we do are very practical, hands-on. Some are more Bible-driven. We'll take a book of the Bible and we're going to uh, really study the book of Ephesians or whatever it may be. And some are really theology-driven. This series is very theology-driven. We're going to do something that we don't often do, uh, which is we're we're going to be very Methodist in our flavor um, for this particular series. Um, It's not that I think that the Methodist church has everything right, because we don't. Uh, But I love, 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 love our theology. Uh, And so I want us to stop and recognize what it is we believe in. What do we, as Methodists, Believe Well, the literal answer to that is there's so many different beliefs, as many as we are different to some degree. And that's one of the things that I love about um, the United Methodist Church is you and I can, can disagree to some degree. I mean, you can think of something, the things that are non-essential, you can believe this and I can believe this. And we can still come together and we can be the body of Christ. That's the beautiful part. But there are some things that we, we agree you know, the essentials. We believe in a triune God. We believe God is creator. We believe that God is redeemer. We believe in the Holy Spirit. We believe in the sustainer. We believe in the mystery of salvation in and through Jesus Christ. John Wesley, who is the founder of United Methodism, was not trying to create a denomination. He was trying to revive his church. He didn't create a lot of new doctrines. He just looked at the church and began to really flesh out what those doctrines mean. And began to maybe look at things in a fresh new way. In the Methodist church, if I had to have one word that would be our emphasis, it's on grace. We believe that all of us are sinners and all of us are in need of forgiveness. All of us are in need of God's mercy. All of us are in need of God's grace. And that Jesus Christ came to bring us forgiveness and salvation. It's not a gift that you can earn. You can't go out and, and, and do really good things in order to gain salvation. It's not a matter of, it's, it is, this is a gift that is given to us unconditionally, out of unconditional love. 
if you know the story of the prodigal son, it's a, it's a perfect way to describe that. One son turns to the father and says, you're dead to me. So I want everything that I'm supposed to get. And he gives, father gives it to him and he goes away. And if you know the story, he goes away. He wastes everything. He finds himself in a very desperate position. And he realizes that he needs his father. And so he turns back to his father. And his father's waiting for him. Arms wide open. When he comes back and the father wraps his arms around him. And begins to celebrate. It's a great story with so many different areas that we can speak about. If you've got your Bibles this morning, I invite you to turn to Luke chapter 15. We're going to read part of this story. It will also be on the screen. And maybe if you're an auditory learner, just close your eyes and listen to the story. But we're going to read Luke 15. We're going to start in verse 11. The Bible reads this way. To illustrate the point further, Jesus told them this story. A man had two sons. The younger son told his father, I want my share of the estate now before you die. So his father agreed to divide his wealth between his sons. A few days later, the younger son packed all his belongings and moved to a distant land. And there he wasted all his money in wild living. About the time his money ran out, a great famine swept over the land and he began to starve. He persuaded a local farmer to hire him. And the man sent him into his fields to feed the pigs. The young man became so hungry that even the pods he was feeding the pigs looked good to him. But no one gave him anything. When he finally came to his senses, he said to himself, At home, even the hired servants have food enough to spare, and here I am dying of hunger. I will go home to my father and say, Father, I have sinned against both heaven and you, and I am no longer worthy of being called your son. Please take me on as a hired servant. So he returned home to his father. And while he was still a long way off, his father saw him coming. Filled with love and compassion, he ran to his son, embraced him, and kissed him. His son said to him, Father, I have sinned against both heaven and you, and I am no longer worthy of being called your son. But his father said to the servants, Quick, bring the finest robe in the house and put it on him. Get a ring for his finger and sandals for his feet, and kill the calf we have been fattening. We must celebrate with a feast, for this son of mine was dead and has now returned to life. He was lost, but now he is found. So the party began. That, my friends, is a description of grace. And every Christian church has a, has a theology of grace, including the United Methodist Church. And that's what I hope over the next four weeks we can really begin to to flesh out what it is we believe about grace. See, John Wesley, John Wesley understood grace with three different styles, and it's kind of a a progressive relationship. And this is where on the back of your worship, the back back of your weekly are some note places. You might write down, we're going to actually talk some theological terms and, and some churchy words, but But John Wesley understood it as prevenient grace and then justifying grace and then sanctifying grace. And so each week we're going to explore a little bit about what those mean. And one of the images that he used, which I think is really helpful, is the image of a house. So for today, 
provenient grace, he used the image of the front porch. And then justifying grace, he uses the image of the front door. And then for sanctifying grace, he uses the image of all the rooms that are in the house. And so each week we will look and understand what that means. So for today, we're going to talk about provenient grace. What does it mean to stand on the front porch of God's house? What does provenient grace mean? So let's break down the word pre as a prefix means before, veni as the root word means to come or go. So the closest word that we probably use on a regular basis, I doubt very many of you use provenient a lot in just your normal conversations, uh, but is convenient. Con as a prefix means with and then Vinny is the root word, is to come or go. And so convenient literally means to, to go along with. So prevenient means to go before, something that goes before something else. And so prevenient grace is the grace that goes before us. It's the grace before you ever even know that you need God. It's the grace of knowing before you ever love God, before you've ever received God. It's standing on the front porch even though you're not in the house yet. Wesley is quoted as saying this. Salvation begins with what is usually termed provenient grace, including the first wish to please God. The first dawn of light concerning God's will. And the first slight transient conviction of having sinned against God. All of these imply, Wesley said, all of these imply some tendency toward life. Some degree of salvation. The beginning of a deliverance from a blind, unfeeling heart. Another way to say it might be, it's the way that God loves us. Before we ever love God. The way that God loves us before we ever love God. And what I want you to realize is that every man, every woman, every child, every person on this earth has the provenient grace of God. Everybody has the provenient grace of God. God simply loves everybody. Loves them all. Wesley is so optimistic about God's grace that he teaches us that God is always reaching out towards us before we're ever even aware of it. That God is always ahead of us. That God is always reaching in to our life. See, God's grace is not this uh, thin, difficult thing to grasp like the air on top of a mountain. God's grace is thick and rich and dense. And it's everywhere and it's overwhelming and you're breathing it before you ever even know it. That's the provenient grace of God. One of John Wesley's favorite scriptures, look at what it says in John 1, 9. The one who is the true light, who gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. The true light is given to everyone. There is no one... According to Wesley, 
there is no one who is completely void of God's grace. So in this way of understanding, this early grace is just the beginning of a relationship with God. And there may be some of you today who don't have a relationship with God and you're standing on the front porch. It was Wesley's belief, and I think the challenge for all of us, especially those who who may have progressed in our relationship with God, Wesley's belief was that as you grew in your relationship with God, that love would grow deeper. And it would challenge us to stop and say, how are we growing as being loving and caring people? How are we growing at at our devotion to God? How are we growing at serving God? That relationship is going to continue to deepen and grow. But Wesley's assumption was that God's grace is everywhere and that touches every man, every woman, every child. That that true light illumines everyone. It fills the earth. And I tell you that because that's not an insignificant belief. It is significant that we believe in the provenient grace of God. And it seems to me that we experience that provenient grace in a couple of different ways. So let's spend the rest of our time this morning thinking about that. One is just the blessings of life. Jesus, in the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 5, look at what it says. He gives his sunlight to both the evil and the good. And he sends rain on the just and the unjust alike. The God's provenient grace, the blessings of life are given to everyone. And that's significant because what that means is it does not make a difference where you were born. It doesn't make a difference of what you've done in your life. It doesn't make a difference of what faith tradition you are in. It doesn't make a difference of what your lifestyle choices are. You are given the provenient grace of God. Every single person wakes up. Some of the beauty that we see, I go to the ocean. I hate the sun, but I love the ocean because I love to watch the tide come in and go out and how God has created it to just stop. Somebody can stand right beside me and experience the provenient grace of God and watching the creation of God's creation, the creativity of God's creation, and it doesn't make a difference who we are or what we've done. We can experience that blessing of life just because we are created by the creator and been given the gift of that day, we can experience the beautiful, provenient grace of God. It's why we baptize children. You may not realize that. You may not even realize that we baptize children. But we, the reason that we baptize children is because of the provenient grace of God. Some traditions say that baptism is, is acknowledgement of God. And we aspire that everyone that is baptized as infants grow into their relationship or where they're able to profess their faith in Christ. But they're still, the child is already blessed. He's blessed or she's blessed because they're created in the image of God. He or she is blessed because God loves them. And so we baptize that child, we baptize that child in the provenient grace of God, knowing that God is ahead of them. It's not what we're doing, it's what God's doing in that moment. It's why children receive communion in our church. For some traditions, communion is 
a remembrance, entirely as a remembrance. But for us, we believe that there's no time in anybody's life where they don't need the grace of God. And so we, we believe that that moment can be a moment of provenient grace. And every time you watch a child take communion, in your head you need to be thinking, that's a beautiful image of the provenient grace of God. Last week, we had the opportunity to pray for our third graders as we presented them Bibles. And what we prayed was that God would guide them. We prayed that God would protect them. We prayed that God would put people in their paths that would help them. May not have been the language, churchy language, but I hope you understand that what we prayed for was the provenient grace of God. Y'all don't know this, but Thursday was open house, or Wednesday night, I believe it was, was open house in Griffin. And one of our families, they took their third grader that we had presented a Bible to. They took them to open house. And on their way home, that family was in a head-on collision. And that third grader and her six-year-old sister are both in intensive care at Eggleston. What we believe is in the provenient grace of God. The God in the midst of that was guiding and protecting and loving and nurturing to that family. It's the Bercoli family. Many of you may know them. Liz teaches in our kids' city. Both of their kids were in our VBS. Serena, the oldest, is doing much better than her little sister. Pray for them. Pray for God to guide them and protect them and heal them and be provenient in their life. All of us, all of us stand on the front porch of God's house. But there is a second way that we see the work of provenient grace, and it's not in the blessings of life, but it's in the part of life that's missing. God knows that our greatest sense of fulfillment comes when we don't just stand on the front porch, but that we enter through the front door. I grew up at a time probably would not surprise many of you, I I love rock and roll. Uh, And I grew up uh, listening to probably music that I shouldn't listen to, uh, but I did. One of the groups was U2. Uh, When I was in college, U2 was extremely popular. I don't know if you've ever heard them or their music, but one of the songs they sing is, I still haven't found what I'm looking for. Some of the lyrics of that song say, I have climbed highest mountains, I have run through the fields, but I still haven't found what I'm looking for. 
there's a hunger that's not satisfied by, by any earthly thing. There's a hunger that's not satisfied by the things of this world. And there are those who look at that constant hunger and they look and see that that a place where we are constantly looking for something that cannot be satisfied by the things of this world and they see that as a curse. They see that as, as a difficulty. And it's the source of so much unhappiness. The source of so much self-destruction. But you see, in our Methodist faith, we believe and hold up the possibility that that search is not a curse. That longing is grace. Because God is not content with us standing and staying on the front porch. God is not content with us just spending our life on the front porch. God draws us, His provenient grace draws us to the front porch, but God realizes and knows that our greatest fulfillment comes when we enter the door. We'll talk more about that justification next week. But provenient grace is that grace that helps us get to that place that we come to accept Jesus Christ. It's the reason the Samaritan woman, if you know the story of the well in John chapter 4, she says, give me living water so that I may never thirst again. God is inviting us into his house. And I believe that God is constantly at work in our lives. That God is constantly drawing us. God is constantly placing people in our lives. Just use the example of Serena Bercoli. Third grade. God drew her family into this place. God had some of you teach her in vacation Bible school. God had you te- some of you teach her within our kids' ministry. God's had you come alongside this family. Sometimes you didn't even know it. Just like we talked about this week. All of those are to help her see God's work. And to be able to, to come to that place where she accepts. That's the provenient grace of God. We constantly are in this struggle. We cannot find rest until we are in God's house. John Wesley, he learned most of his theology by struggles in his own life. When he was in college, he and a group of friends, they they had the holy club. And they, they would come up with all of these methods to, to be... Religious. That's how we get Methodism. It's methodical. And so they had this covenant of all these things that they were going to do in order to, to be in love with God. They were going to get up. They covenanted with each other. They were going to get up every day at 5 o'clock and they were going to pray. They would covenant with each other every day to, to fast or certain days to fast. They would covenant with each other to, to confess their sins before each other. They would, they would covenant with each other to participate in the sacraments. They, they would covenant with each other to do all of these religious things. But yet then John Wesley still struggled with, with feeling and finding peace. And so he went to an Anglican priest and he asked the Anglican priest for advice, if anything else. 
And the Anglican priest said, look, you're making this more complicated than it has to be. And they tried to sum up Christianity for John Wesley. And in his advice to him, he gave him this piece of scripture that we read in John, 1 John 4. We love each other because he loved us first. We love each other because he loved us. We love our neighbors because God loves us. We love our community because God loves us. God's love is not rare and difficult to find. It's there for everybody to receive. Everybody to experience. It's there for everybody to feel. For everybody to be overwhelmed. We live in a world where people are desperately searching for peace and forgiveness and and comfort. And it would be a cruel world if it were not for the answer of Jesus Christ. That God loves us so much that anything short of dying on the cross wouldn't do as his way of being able to express it. Let there be no mistake. God sent his son for each and every person. But our even awareness of that is because we have the provenient grace of God. Every single person, every man, woman, and child, God loves us so much that he gave all of us his grace. That's the place where we finally find what we're looking for. The last verse of that song by you 2 says, I believe in the kingdom come when all the colors will bleed into one. Bleed into one and yet I'm still running. You broke the bonds and loosed the chains, carried the cross of my shame. Today what I hope we can celebrate is that we are all standing on the front porch. Every single one of us can praise God for the provenient grace that he's given to us. And as we move forward in this series, we'll talk more about where, where we go from there. How do we enter into the door? What, when we enter into the door, what is it God's call for us? But today we can at least celebrate the fact that every single one of us has been given the grace of God. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Most gracious God, we thank you. We thank you today for your grace, your provenient grace, for being so far ahead of each and every one of us, for the people that you've put in our path that have led us to this place on this day. I pray, oh God, that you can help us, that even as we celebrate communion today, I hope that you can help us to recognize that our ability to even be aware of you is because of your grace. Our ability to feel your presence is because of your grace. Our ability to be overwhelmed by your love is because of your grace. So we simply say thank you. Thank you for loving us. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.